Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the spectrum, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, I'm a journalist based out in Reykjavik, Iceland, and today I've had a, a, a pretty good um, week for, for mail. Yesterday I took a little trip up to the post office to pick up some parcels. Uh, and I got a vinyl record I was expecting, a Sufjan Stevens album from the US. But when I got home I opened it up and it was a beautiful, Technicolor double 12-inch record that I'd forgotten that I ordered from I Am 8-Bit. And it was the Sayonara Wild Hearts soundtrack. Um, it's a really beautiful game, it's one of my one of my favourites of recent times. Just a really joyful, neon, high-speed emotional kind of on-rails arcade game and the soundtrack is is really just amazing it's a kind of a nordic synth pop record really cool so i've been playing the sayonara wild hearts um soundtrack and i've been dancing around the house to that it's just beautiful it's a beautiful thing to own i'm a big fan of uh, of merch of that type and increasingly of video game music there's so much good stuff going on And as you can hear right now, the game that I'm going to talk about today has a great soundtrack too. It's a 2019 game of the year type game, an indie game, called Outer Wilds. And I've had a a really interesting time with this game over this last week. It's been the kind of game where you play it until you go to sleep, and then you wake up thinking about the game world again. It really just took took over my life for a couple of days, you know. I think I played it for five or six days and did a few hours each day, ending up at about 25, 26 hours of play. And there were high points and low points. There were, you know, quits, and then there were huge moments of victory and breakthroughs and uh, epiphanies. It's It's a really special game, and I'm really excited to talk about it today. It's the most notes that I've made about a game since uh, Last of Us 2, I think. It's also a game that is based around a big mystery, and so I'm going to try and make this spoiler-free. Maybe there'll be a little spoiler break at the end. We'll see how we get on. And I think I will create a patron-only episode for my followers and subscribers on Patreon. So if you're a regular listener of the show, or if you're a first-time listener even and you enjoy the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash gaminginthewild where you can support the show for as little as $3 a month. And for that price, you'll get weekly e-store recommendations of great games that are on sale. And you'll also get some extra patron-only episodes. It's really good fun. Um, I'm really happy to be doing that. And it's a really great way to support the show if you're a listener. I appreciate every every single person that signs up there. It helps me to get more games to talk about. It helps me to build a nice community around the show. We have a Discord server where patrons and friends just chat about what they're playing. It's really fun. So patreon.com slash gaminginthewild if you're interested in that. And with that housekeeping out of the way, let's dive right in and talk about Outer Wilds.
this game has been on my radar for a while, and I'm sure it's been on a lot of your radars too. It was a, a bit of a hit, a cult hit in 2019. It's by Mobius Digital, published by Annapurna Interactive. And it has a quite an interesting story of how this game came to be. It was started as a college project, um, led by Alex Meacham, and it was developed by him and a group of fellow students up until 2015, when they released an alpha version of it, which went on to win the Seamus McNally Grand Prize at the Independent Game Awards. Quite a big achievement for a completely independent game. It really just caught everyone's attention with its design and concept. Um, and it went into a period after that of fielding some interest. Um, Massey Oka, who is an actor who you might know if you've seen Sense8, he's in that show. He had started a games company called Mobius Digital and he hired the whole team who had been working on the game to try and bring it forward for release. That included the lead designer's sister, Kelsey Meacham, an art director called Wesley Martin, and Andrew Pralow, who made the soundtrack. Um, and they ran a, a crowdfunding campaign on a platform called Fig, which I hadn't heard of before, but it's a, a video game crowdfunding platform. They hit their target, they moved into production, and then in 2018, Annapurna came in. They bought out the rights from Fig, and then they negotiated for the, the final release to come out on Game Pass and on Epic Game Store and PS4. In 2019 it was released, and it was a critical success. It won the, the BAFTA Award for Game of the Year, which puts it alongside games like What Became of Edith Finch, and God of War, and Uncharted, and Fallout 4, and uh, Destiny, and let's see, The Last of Us, they, they've all won the best game. So it was in some really esteemed company to win that award, it was a, a big breakthrough for the game. I think it was an unexpected winner, there were a lot of good games up for it that year. I had guessed that Control might win it, but also Disco Elysium, Luigi's Mansion 3, Sekiro and Untitled Goose Game were all nominated in the best game category, so it really was an outside winner and it surprised a lot of people. It also won the best indie game at the Golden Joystick Awards, Polygon and Eurogamer named it their game of the year and it got shout outs from the New Yorker and the Washington Post, so it was really hitting the games media and the wider media. Um, and having played it now, I can see why people were attracted to it so much. Um, it was a little critically divisive, though. Um, I've looked at Metacritic here. It's got um, an 82 on the PS4 and an 85 on other systems. And it sounds like it had some technical issues at launch, but I didn't um, suffer any of those. It ran fine when I played it through on my PS4. But also, I mean, the critics' reviews are a little split. You know, it runs from 6 through till 10, roughly. And I've pulled out a couple of quotes here that I thought were quite interesting. Uh, Video Chums gave it a six and said, Enjoying Outer Wilds depends on your willingness to read guides and discuss the game online. So this guy clearly had a lot of trouble with the puzzling on it, which I can understand and we'll get into later. He says, Otherwise you'll probably feel like you're regularly hitting your head on a brick wall as you try to make an inch of progress. Push Square gave it a seven and said this is a game that presents itself in a unique way and trusts you to put together its compelling mystery without assistance. So they were expanding on that theme and maybe had a little more success. Critical Hit gave it a 9 out of 10 and said Outer Wilds is a monumental success in game design and storytelling and should be experienced by anyone who sees the value in immersive interactive storytelling. 
And then finally we have Slant, who went all the way with five stars and said, Outer Worlds is a wondrous maze of infinite, breathtaking possibilities. It's a rare adventure game in which the journey is more of a reward than the destination. So the critical response was split and seems to depend on how willing the reviewer in question was to engage with this radically free-form game structure. It's one of the least hand-holdy games that I've played. You have to kind of learn the language of the game as you go. And I can sympathise and understand every single one of those reviews from the 6 to the 10. I experienced all of those things during my playthrough too. I had some moments of of mind-blowing wonder playing this game and some moments of head-holding frustration on having to repeat sections and things like that. So, you know, it's it's a game that is going to be divisive. It's not a game that's going to be for everyone. But I, I truly think that this one is worth learning and worth investing time into because by the end of it, if you reach the end, I think it would be very few gamers who wouldn't come away with a really positive impression of the game. So that's the story of the game, how it came into being, how it was received. I will say at the start of this show that this is a complicated game, so I've, I've kind of uh, segmented my notes into a few different sections just so as not to get lost. So let's move on to how it begins and what the opening sequence gives you. So The Outer Wilds is a space exploration adventure with a um, what I've called here a dispersed narrative, meaning that there are hundreds of narrative points, all of which are interconnected but isolated. So you find them one by one on several different strands of plot and it's up to you to piece it together. The game has a really interesting setting and environment. For an exploration game, it's not realistic. It's not like Breath of the Wild where you feel the wind in your hair or like Horizon Zero Dawn where you can kind of taste the fog and you can see animals scurrying around and it feels vibrant and alive. It's very different. It's appealing in a different way. It's a very imaginative galaxy that you get to explore with a really interesting cast of characters. It's internally consistent and ingenious in design. Um, And I've tried to triangulate a couple of influences. Um, The vibe of it reminded me of Firefly, the TV show, if you've seen that one, in that it's kind of outback sci-fi. Like the ship is made out of wood and metal, um, and the town is very uh, rustic and rural, foresty, where you begin. But it's also like No Man's Sky. You know, you take off from your planet and exit the atmosphere, and there are several other planets to explore, five other planets and one comet orbiting a big sun. And as you travel through this galaxy, you pick up your clues. Um, They appear in your ship computer. And over time, you start to see a picture coming together, like painfully inch by inch at times. But the the big picture slowly swings into focus. Others have um, compared this to Oberdin, but I haven't played that game, so I can't comment as to that. But in terms of the clues and the mystery, that's a reference point that a lot of people have used. And the game begins when you wake up by a campfire. Kind of unusual for a a space exploration game. Um, And you look around, there's a guy roasting marshmallows, there is a wooden tower to your right, 
and there are trees around you and it's nighttime and you look up into the sky and see some celestial bodies orbiting a sun, different planets in the distance and space debris flying around and things like this. So you're very much grounded when you wake up. Your companion at the campfire is called Slate. He's a space engineer who's built a spacecraft that you are going to be flying. It's your first space flight, the day of your first flight. And before you can take off, you need to go and pick up the launch codes. And so I can talk about the first 20 minutes of the game um, and fill you in on just a couple of the mechanics and stuff without getting into any of the spoiler territory. Um, so you move up through the village. It turns out that you are part of a race called the Herthians, and that's a, a blue-skinned, four-eyed, pointy-eared, genderless race, that your planet is called Timberhearth, that you are um, a rural subsistence species that lives in a forested grove. Um, but this village and this entire species also prides itself on space exploration. There are several astronauts up there in the stars, and you are about to join their ranks as the newest astronaut of the Herthian race. And so as you move around, there are kids looking up at the stars. There is a little um, remote-controlled drone that you can play with and try and learn to fly. It's very difficult. The first time I tried to control it, I flew it down a geyser into the centre of the Earth and it got jetted out into space again. And uh, the little kid that's kind of minding this thing says, are you sure you're going to be okay with the big one? And so he's giving you a little taste of the fact that this is um, the kind of controls that your ship is going to have. And it, it will turn out that your ship is like more like a moon lander in, uh, than a rocket. So you have to think about gravity and orientation and things like that as you're flying. On your way up the valley, you also meet some kids that want to play hide-and-seek with you. They introduce you to your um, sound scope, which is something that you can point in different directions and pick up signals. It's going to be very useful later in the game. You're also taught how to use your little scout, and that is a drone with a flashlight on it that you can shoot, take pictures with, so you'll be able to shoot that into dark caves and so forth. It's a useful, another useful tool that you have in your arsenal. And there's one final tutorial that takes place in the Zero-G cave, where you meet someone who says, can you help me out? Um, I need someone to go into the Zero-G cave and fix this satellite. And this is a little preview of what it's going to be like in space. You have Zero-G, you can rotate in 360 degree movement. It's at first very hard to kind of get your bearings. It's, it's just tough. You know, you have to think about the gimbal, you have to think about spin and your proximity to other objects and how to move around in a zero-gravity environment with thrust and so forth. That's going to be a big uh, challenge for the game, is learning how to manoeuvre. I think they call it zero-gravity perambulation. And then finally, you get to the observatory. This is where your launch codes are. And there is a museum there that explains a little bit about the galaxy. Uh, when I was first playing this game, I... I rushed through the museum and thought, oh, that's cool, and just got my launch codes and ran out to the ship because I was eager to take off, as I guess a young pilot would be. And in No Man's Sky, I felt the same. You know, I was dying to get off the ground. But when I came back to that museum after finishing the game, I realised that each exhibit is giving you a really important fragment of information, and I wished that I took my time a little bit at the start. Um, I think that that's a big tip for this game going into it, is that every detail matters. Every little fragment of information that someone gives you in speech matters. Um, in the museum, you'll find a quantum crystal, you'll find um, fossils, 
of an old civilization called the Nomai that predates the Hertians but has long gone. Um, and you'll find, you know, documents and exhibits about the lifespan of suns and the way that the galaxy is formed. And the head astronomer is working on theories of the universe that are kind of a few steps behind where we are now as humans. And so you get the feeling that this species is kind of a spacefaring race that likes to sit by the campfire and play music, but also to get out there and try and understand what's going on in their own solar system, uh, research this previous race of the Nomai. Uh, and so that's the kind of setup. It's very charming. That mixture of kind of campfire atmosphere and spacefaring wonder is great. And then off you go to your spacecraft, um, in you hop, put on your spacesuit, buckle up, and off you go into space. Where you go from here is really up to you. You get a couple of kind of quite basic, easygoing prompts of things that maybe would be of interest. You can see a big uh, gas giant in the, the sky near you. That's where I went first. But there are five different planets to explore. There is the, the comet with an elliptical orbit around the sun also. You can fly anywhere. You can do anything. If you can see it, you can probably land on it and there is going to be something there to find. And that is the gameplay of Outer Wilds, basically. You're free to wander the solar system. You're free to land anywhere you like. You're free to kind of pick up little clues. There will be like inscriptions from the, the Nomai. There'll be planets with very unique geographical circumstances that you have to navigate. There'll be uh, ruins. You can find the other astronauts that are out there the other Harthian astronauts and talk to them. Um, and everywhere you go, there is like a, a breadcrumb, breadcrumb trail leading just in all directions. Um, and the information that you find um, is quite well organized for you. Um, there is a, a ship computer that documents all of your finds. Like when you find something cool, a little text appears on the screen saying ship log updated. So you can head back to the ship you have to watch your oxygen, you have to watch your jetpack fuel when you're out and about. But when you get back to the ship, they recharge. You can head to your ship computer and you can see all of the information that you found, kind of like a case file for the game. And you can start trying to piece together some of the puzzles of this galaxy. And that's about as far as I can go in talking about this game without getting into spoiler territory. Um, I've been treading carefully. This is all just kind of context and gameplay and the introduction. Um, I haven't talked about some of the main central concepts of this game because it's really better for you to experience them for yourself. Um, so I think I can't really talk about the rest of the game without spoiling it. So I'm going to give you a spoiler break here. I will probably do a Patreon podcast that talks about the end game for people that have played right through to the end and want to hear my take on the, the big, the big uh, questions of this game. So if you're leaving now, thank you for listening. Um, head over to patreon.com slash gaminginthewild if you'd like to join, join up there. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch. I'm definitely going to stream some of this game. 
in the next couple of days just to show people firsthand what it's like. Um, it's Gaming in the Wild on all those platforms. Thank you for listening. I really do recommend experiencing this game for yourself. So if, you, if you've got any chance of playing it, then skip the next part. Um, and if you're sticking around, you've played the game already, I assume, then uh, I'll be right back. So the big issue that I've been skirting around in that opening segment is that after 22 minutes of gameplay in the Outer Wilds, final spoiler warning by the way, it's final, 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 um, the sun of the galaxy contracts and then explodes in a supernova, wiping out everything, including you. But you wake up after having a sort of a cut scene where everything that you did, all of your memories are kind of beamed back to you. And you wake up, you gasp, you're by the campfire again. You talk to Slate and say, I just died. And he says, you're lucky that I'm not giving you a, a psychological evaluation because otherwise you'd be, you'd be a grounded pilot. So no one else seems to be aware that that just happened. That the universe, the, the galaxy rather, just ended and that you've come back. And understanding why that is happening is one of the main points of the game. And when you wake up, you see above you, it took me a few restarts to notice this, like with any um, attention really, but up in, up in space, right above where you wake up, you see a kind of an event, you see an explosion, you see something shooting into the distance, like a blue object flies out of a, a spacecraft in the distance and that spacecraft then explodes into pieces. And unraveling that is a good starting point. I think the first time I took off, I flew to Giant's Deep, one of the five planets. It's the gas giant. It turns out, in fact, to be a water planet, which is riddled with tornadoes and has some floating islands on it that you can explore. And I think my first death was not uh, the universe exploding. I think I just smashed up my ship and uh, died. Because you can you can die in many ways in this game, but most of them will just land you back at the campfire. Um, but that spacecraft that you see at the start is a big clue. It's a, a good start in understanding the Nomai and understanding what is happening to your galaxy. And I went through some sort of peaks and troughs with this game. There were points at which I'd found a few fragments of information that really made me light up. And I really felt like I was dying to get into the galaxy and explore further and find as much as I could. But I hopped around a little bit and explored here and there and then kind of looked at my ship's computer and saw the flow chart starting to emerge. And then there were points at which I felt like there were so many directions that I could go in that I really didn't know where to go and I felt very disorientated and kind of down within the game. But I was always drawn back to it, so... This happened a bunch of times. There were times at which I'm thinking, oh my God, this game is just immense, an immense work. And then there were times at which I was thinking, God, I wish that there was more guidance. I wish that there was more to go on. And the, the game kind of demands an unusual amount of you as a player. Every bit of information matters. Every 
item on the flowchart matters. And not only does it matter that you find it, but it matters that you hold it all in your mind, that you manage to juggle all of these different plot threads. You know, it will turn out that there are four different major elements that you're going to have to unravel to understand, to fully understand the whole picture of the game. I said in one comment, I've talked about this online a little bit, in the short game uh, podcast Discord server, I said that this felt like doing a cryptic crossword and a Rubik's Cube and a Sudoku all at once because you're trying to figure out what's happening to the galaxy. You're trying to figure out why you're flashing back to the beginning of the game in a time loop. You're trying to figure out who the Nomai were, how the Harthians relate to them, why are the Nomai extinct, uh, why does their technology seem to be triggering at this moment when they've been gone for a long time. You know, you can find their bones around and you can find their buildings crumbled and collapsed. You can find their settlements and their technology lying around in, in disorder. But some of it is still working. But why is it working now? And so there's just so much that it can feel like you're kind of grasping at straws. Um, and you really have to power through that feeling if you're going to get further into the game. Um, I, as a player, dislike um, roguelikes and I dislike kind of games where you die a lot. And so that's the first hurdle. You have to get over the fact that you can be finding a really interesting location that you've just landed and and uh, discovered and then you'll hear some sad music and you'll know that your cycle is coming to the end and the sun's about to go supernova. You're going to have to start again. You're going to have to fly back to where you were. Some of those planets have a lot of features, and so even if they are quite small, it can take a little bit of orientating yourself to find the exact spot you were in. It's not even a given that you'll be able to fly straight there. Um, you really have to get used to and learn the planets and all of their features. For example, a planet called Brittle Hollow. It's kind of a shell of a planet with uh, a lot going on under the surface. And there are many features. There's a North Pole and a South Pole, an equator, which has different installations dotted around it. There are entrances into the planet that can be hard to relocate. And so the navigating of this time loop uh, can really stymie your progress and cause some frustration. And this led to some real trouble for me, actually. There were points at which I knew what I had to find, and I was kind of circling things, buildings that didn't seem to have an entrance and trying to get into them through subterranean routes that just turned into dead ends. And I really lost the thread and felt frustrated and defeated. And so, after I'd collected a, a large amount of information, I was missing a few major pieces. I actually resorted to going online and looking at guides. And I have to say, some of the solutions to these um, environmental problems, I would never have found, I'm, I'm sure of it. I had been to the door, I'd stood on the doorstep, I'd looked at the way in, and I had just not perceived that there was a way through, given up on it, because there are so many alternate routes. You know, it's a problem of Metroidvanias sometimes, you know. If you come to a problem, there are two possibilities. One, there's a puzzle that you're not seeing, and two, you don't have the, the power to go through it yet, if you know what I mean. And in this game... um. Not that you have to, you know, you start with all the skills you're going to have. So it's not a Metroidvania at all. But there were times when I was looking at a puzzle and I was like, is this a puzzle 
or is this a dead end? The answer was usually that there aren't dead ends, but there are environmental factors that make it seem like there is a dead end. For example, um, if there is some ice on a, an astral body that orbits close to the sun, you're going to have to wait for that ice to melt to see what's under it. There is one planet where sand slowly drifts away to another planet because of gravity. And as the sand drifts away, it reveals structures. But as the structures are being revealed, on the planet that's receiving all of the sand, the deep caves are being filled. And so from the heights to the depths, you're going to have to learn the rhythms of this galaxy. And that is a difficult process. It's not traditional gameplay. It's a logical deduction and observation, keeping all of the plates spinning in your mind. And it's very challenging. I think this is a deeply challenging game that requires a mental capacity that will come naturally to some players and not to others. I felt pretty stupid sometimes in this game. Um, I felt lost other times when I'd kind of discovered big secrets and solved environmental puzzles. I felt triumphant but there was real peaks and troughs. It wasn't easy sailing, if you know what I mean. But um, by the time I got through to the end of the game, I have to say that looking back on it now, I think it's a hugely accomplished game. Uh, when I finished it for my one finish a week um, tweet, I described it as a cosy cast that accompanies you on a grand sci-fi adventure with radical freedom within set parameters. It's mind-bending, it's maddening, it's unashamedly complicated, but by the end, I can see why it won so many Game of the Year awards. And that's it. It's it's unashamedly complicated. It's kind of key. It doesn't hold your hand. It, it gives you all of the tools and all of the pieces that you're going to need, but um, perceiving of them is the hard part. Learning to think inside of this game world, this game galaxy. Learning to observe and to be patient and to re-explore and to try and deduce from environmental factors what you need to figure out. It's all really hard, really challenging. When it comes off and you feel good, it's great. Other times, yeah, it's like that reviewer said, it's like banging your head against a brick wall. So I would say um, it's good to have someone who's played through it, if you're going to play through it, because they can give you hints without spoiling solutions. Sometimes you just need a nudge in the right direction, you know. If you can't get into the high energy lab, which was a very um, remote, deeply buried facility, it's not easy to get into. There are various timed obstacles in your way. Um, you need someone to just tell you that you're on the right track, maybe give you a little nudge, and then you'll be through. It feels much more satisfying to get a hint from a friend than to resort to a guide. So if you find yourself playing this game and you need a hint, then hit me up. I've, I've pretty much 100%ed the game. I've uh, knocked every question mark off my flowchart and I have a really good idea of what the whole thing was about. And I have to say that the ending is spectacular. I'm not ashamed to say that I had goosebumps and tears in my eyes by the time the finale came around. So that's Outer Wilds. Um, that's half an hour talking about one game. It's kind of unusual for this podcast. But I hope you enjoyed hearing about my experience of the game. I had a really good time with it. I look back on it very fondly. I feel like it's a game that I will replay in the future just because, you know, in a few years when some of those mysteries of, and experiences and those planetary surfaces 
that are so wildly varied and such a beautiful art style. I'd love to come back to this game and play it again, much like Breath of the Wild. It's a, it's a game that's just stunning and a true one-off. That's Outer Wilds. So that's our show. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Outer Wilds was really a spectacular game. I see why it gets so much love. It's a it's a real original. Um, I downloaded a couple of other games recently. Um, I got a recommendation for a game called Shape of the World. Um, and I downloaded 80 Days. It was just on a deep sale um, on the Nintendo eShop. And also Paratopic. If you own a Motor Rush that motorbike racing game that's always like £1.50. I think everyone probably owns it because it's just something to try from the e-store. Then you can get Paratopic for £2 currently. Um, and that seems like a good deal. Uh, my friends over at the Short Game Podcast gave that a really positive write-up. Um, it's a, a short retro horror game. Not my usual genre, but it sounded intriguing. But I think after the intense mental workout of the Outer Wilds, I think I want something a little more easy, uh, something a little more traditional, maybe a, a relaxed walking game or like a, I've been thinking about dipping into Fallout or Bioshock or something like that just to um, explore some classic sci-fi games that are perhaps a little more traditional. Um, so I'm going to be trying those, but before I move on to those, I think this week I will Twitch stream um, some Out Wild, so just a little walk along the opening area and perhaps just a small amount of uh, space tourism just to give an idea of what the game's all about. So I'll be over at Twitch TV slash gaming in the wilds. You can also find me and uh, have a chat about the game or whatever's on your mind at Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all those places, Patreon too. Uh, thank you very much for listening. I'll be back with a new episode next week. Take care of yourselves and each other. Bye bye.